Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and this is an audio-only podcast, so there are no visual recording of this, so don't try to look for the video link in the link description as normal. This is a guest list show to start off the new year. Uh, This is also a podcast that's going to be about what to look forward to, a, a year in review from the last year's accomplishments, And most importantly, if you had looked at the title of this episode, I'm going to be reviewing the biggest trends and impact of the past decade, right? We are starting a new decade, year 2020. If you haven't checked your calendar, surprise. There have been a lot of things that have happened the last 10 years. We have a lot of guests in the last four years of those. And I think it's important to kind of see and review what has happened to kind of guess and anticipate what's going to happen, not just the next year, but what we should look forward to as game developers for the next decade. So before I get into this heavy topic, I want to thank you for everyone that has been sticking with the show giving the support on Patreon and everything that you have been doing and being active in the Discord channel. It has been very helpful, motivational, inspirational to hear the stories and the impact that this podcast has brought to you. And we are going to continue to push and make sure that everything that you are taking away from these lessons are valuable and actually practical to your daily lives. So, big elephant in the room. I am the sole host going forward. Uh, if you are following on the Patreon, listening to Life Unchained, that is providing some kind of context of what has happened behind the scenes. I won't go into the detail, but Larry Charles, we are just hoping him the best on his future endeavors. Uh, it is a it is a space and a partner and a friend that I, I solely miss because I've been doing this with a host uh, with co-hosts for the last four to five years. It's great to have that voice. And uh, a lot of you guys have reached out and asked what happened and like how you do miss Larry Charles. I think we all can agree. We do miss him. Uh, that uh, chemistry that we had in the back and forth have always made it not just easy because, you know, having a partner in crime to kind of talk back and forth and having a conversation is a lot easier with two people. Um, but, uh, it is, uh, it is a thing that has happened the last year where, you know, ultimately we had to go our separate ways and I wanted to continue with the podcast, uh, because it's something that I'm very passionate about, uh, and found very useful, not just for myself, but for anybody that is listening. Uh, I find it very awesome that you guys, uh, uh, a few of you have reached out to um, to always every week uh, talk about how it has been helpful and how you plan to utilize the things that our guests or myself have shared into your own career. So it's uh, it's the very reason why I am about six months self-employed at this point. You know, I'm running my own business with my partner uh, and uh, running the podcast, running the school, Game School Online, everything that I have dreamt of doing, I am doing right now. I'm in the thick of it, working from home. Um, And a lot of this is reviewed for Patreon supporters, but uh, for anybody that have been wondering what has been going on, 
that has been the key thing that has been, uh, if not uh, proof, uh, I don't know what is, right, of the things that I've learned have been exactly broadcast to what you guys have been listening to, talking to guests about different aspects of going indie or working from home or balancing family life with work life while you're at home, um, financially responsible, legal aspects of it. All, all these have been selfishly topics that I've been seeking the past two years to help prepare for this. Uh, and um, don't know what the, the future holds mm. Not actively looking for another co-host. I know that's something that uh, have been voiced as uh, solely missed because it's been mostly me and the guests talking it through. We spent the last month off. Uh, as you guys can imagine, I didn't want to. Uh, I, I wanted to spend more time with family and December just felt like a good month to kind of just uh, recover but also just enjoy gaming again. This is something that I've been talking about for a long time where I kind of pushed back uh, and, and never – I deprioritize it, right? I, I really haven't finished a game from front to back for five years. Uh, the games I did play were, uh, were just shooters just to get like that quick five-minute – 20 minute heart rate going, but not anything um, story driven or, or games that I uh, usually enjoy. Haven't really touched. My Steam list just kept packing on. I was able to spend December to kind of finish games that I loved. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, uh, finished that, took me like 50 hours to play all the way through. Uh, that's a series that was a reason why I went into the game industry. I played every single one. Uh, but Metal Gear Solid 5 was something that I just had on the shelf and never touched. So December, I dusted it off and found my passion into playing games again. I don't know uh, how you guys are with that, but from what I gathered with game developers, especially the veterans, uh, they tend to, especially if they have family or other responsibilities they take a push back the game playing part and lose sight of that and i found myself in that position and in a weird way that i i felt that um I, it was juvenile to play games while you're trying to work on your career and all this stuff and maybe it was a just an excuse um, because now that I got back into the groove and kind of got addicted to playing games again, I found uh, I rediscovered the passion of why I got in this silly industry in the first place. And uh, if anything, it was great to uh, be caught up with uh, what's hot and trending right now. I mean, Metal Gear 5 is pretty old, but like it's still pretty top notch in terms of graphic fidelity for this console generation. So it was a high bar and it was great to kind of walk through that and see how other game developers kind of um, not just apply art, but apply their game design concepts. And that's something um, I was really missing from because of course I was skipping through games before to kind of get the sense of art and, and 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 that type of direction but i was really missing the game design part and you know just getting the gist of it but playing through it and kind of going through all the puzzling uh was great i finished that i also uh also finished uh grizz by uh nomada studios that was a really hot game last year it's like a like a like a graph designer turn creative game director just was able to kind of lead this amazing looking game, uh, uh, 2d platformer, uh, highly recommend you guys to check that out at some point. Maybe I'll have like the game developers on, but trying to get them on, just trying to find the right date to do so. Aside from that, what else am I playing? I started Ori in the blind forest and, uh, Sekiro, uh, shadows die twice or something got game of the year the game awards so i was like i knew i had to check that out 
but because I have like the Activision Steam account, um, that pretty much grants me all Activision games for free. Well, until they until they switched over to uh, uh, the Blizzard, what was that? The Blizzard account, where all their games are on the Blizzard. Um, oh yeah, I'll look that up so you guys are fully aware of what that is. It's not Origin. Oh, there's so many different gaming services now. You know what I mean. Where all the Blizzard games are, Overwatch and stuff. It's over. Um, it's over there now. All the Call of Duties, all the new Call of Duties there. Been playing Modern Warfare, of course. Not single player, just multiplayer. Maybe I'll finish single player at some point, sometime. Um, but uh, just kind of playing around with uh, a lot of NBA 2K20. It's been great to kind of have that month to kind of reinvigorate my game mer passion and uh really appreciate our our medium here it's it's silly to say that because i'm a full-time game developer but you do you really do lose sight of the gaming part of it um just because other responsibilities kind of pop up in your life as you age uh, i'm sure you guys can relate so uh to kind of have that month to kind of find that again i highly recommend you guys who are kind of uh, stuck in that rhythm of just producing games and balancing family and our, our life to start really uh, committing yourself into that part of game development, game research. It really opened my eyes and, um, and for a long time felt like a teenager again. Uh, and it gave me like a lot of inspiration and ideas of what I would like to do with my own projects and, and, and something that's important, especially nowadays where independent game development is so accessible now that uh, we, we got to really constantly look at what's out there and be motivated by that. So that's what I've been up to the last month. We do have a full schedule this month of guests. So people who have been listening to a lot of the GDX.me, hopefully you guys are enjoying those. We are planning to uh, to start the uh, next GDUX, which is happening in June. So go over to gdux.me, sign up for that. Don't miss out on that. We had a lot of interested parties for the last GDUX uh, that couldn't make it for the last one, which was happening in November, which is understandable. Uh, around the holidays, people trying to want to relax. So a lot of people are planning to talk at uh, the June conference, and it's going to be pretty packed. Uh, I'm anticipating probably at least 18 speakers. So uh, go over and sign up for that. Um, looking to update the office, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you guys can see the new background and snazz it up a bit for ushering the new year. Uh, if you guys are listening to this, um, then... Uh, Tuesday on uh, January the 7th is when this podcast comes out. Uh, be sure to kind of, if you have time, we are recording on, live on Twitch every Tuesday, which is one week early when uh, before the podcast, before the podcast get published, uh, you can watch the video form live on Twitch uh, 11 a.m. every Tuesday on twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Uh, link in description is on on it on this episode if you want to just click through. Again, it's twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Uh, we're talking to Ryan Kingsling tonight and uh, or today to this morning. So be sure to, uh, if you're listening to this and you want more Game Dev Unchained for the day, go over and check that out. So, all right, a little long introduction, but I, I thought it was really necessary because I haven't talked to you guys for uh, the whole month of December. Uh, maybe you guys haven't noticed because there's lots of GDUX on... Uh, see, I'm, I'm kind of a little rusty. GDUX.me over the month of December, so we're getting back into recording shows again. And I kind of want to start this year off with what... We are looking forward to, you know, GDUX is the thing now. 
it, it worked. It was successful. We had sponsors and we're going to have uh, more sponsors interested uh, as the year goes on. The first one of this year is June and uh, the next one will probably be in November. Aside from that, you know, a lot of changes. I, I had practice at the tail end of last year of hosting things alone, but uh, you know I miss I miss talking to someone on the panel besides a new guest that I'm meeting for the first time uh, in the show. So roundtable news is coming back uh, once every month. Uh, the first one's going to be recorded uh, the beginning of February. So every uh, starting next month. The first episode every month will most likely be a roundtable news. That means uh, Ray Charles, uh, not Ray Charles, <laughs> uh, Ray, Ray will be coming back and uh, Ray Graham. Oh, I don't know why I was, it's kind of racist. Uh, Raymond Graham is coming back on the panel and we're going to invite other industry experts to make it a, a true roundtable, at least four people on. So waiting for confirmation from other guests. But the idea of Roundtable News is, again, to analyze the biggest news of that month and just have a discussion. Uh, what's different from that with, uh, you know, if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash bootchamps, where you can see all these podcast episodes in video form. Uh, you know, I'm doing Games Recap again, which is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's about five to ten minutes of uh, me just reviewing the biggest news of that day or uh, or of that week, right? But with Roundtable News, it's not just my opinion, it's others from other disciplines, so it's a lot more fun, conversational. So those are ways to kind of get your gaming news um, in addition to career advice with Game Dev Unchained. So a lot of great things are happening, a lot of great guests. I am in a different phase of my life right now. I'm an entrepreneur and uh, I work fully at home now. And so a lot of this year will be grabbing guests to focus it on um, startups, really. I think uh, being entrepreneur, business-minded, marketing, Anything to kind of set uh, an indiv independent developer for success. I mean, I'm going to be really catering towards that because that is a phase of my life that I'm trying to learn more about and sustain, right? So uh, I will have a lot, I guess, kind of centered around that this year uh, to keep it focused. Uh, that's not to say I will have the occasional guests on other topics, but I'm just saying the bulk of it will be about this because I am in this phase of my life and I am selfish when it comes to uh, the podcast of what I need to learn. So hopefully you guys are on for uh, the ride for that journey and have takeaways for that. Aside from that, uh, this is coming out. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, next Monday, if you guys are trying to learn a new discipline or even try to get into the game industry by uh, learning game development techniques, right? Uh, not just career advice, but techniques. Uh, you should know that I am running GameSchool Online as a free resource of tutorials and registration is starting next Monday. Put that in your calendar, uh, which is January 13th at midnight. Courses will open for registration. It only opens up once every three months for a limited amount of time. So if you want to register as a student, take free courses and uh, learn from the best, right? I'm not just bragging here. Uh, it's not just me. It's others, too, that have published these awesome courses. Uh, go over to gameschoolonline.com uh, on Monday. Click on the free courses Right. So beta.gamesgoonline.com if you want the shortcut. And there's a timer right there. So you'll know exactly when you could register. And it's limited. So that means only amount, a certain amount of students that we take in until we close it up again. If you become a member, you don't have to wait in line or anything. It also helps support the school. It's a crowdfunded school. Pretty much nonprofit. 
um, maybe I'll convert school into nonprofit that we are in that process. So check that out. Okay. So let's go to the meat of the topic. Aside from the ketchup, it is the beginning of the year. It's only rightfully so that I talked about last year and what to look forward this year. But let's take it a step further and look at the last decade, right? So a lot of things have happened in the last decade. Uh, something that I was researching and looking at was uh, the best way to kind of measure these console generations. Uh, they just nicely kind of um, kind of are designed around an era, like the PlayStation era, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 2. So you get a lot of game, developer, uh, game developers, and you can hear from myself. Uh, I like the reference. Um those console generation as where we are in the game industry because it kind of is the the standard that these console generation are, are setting as we are looking forward to 2020 the new playstation and xbox will be released within this year uh at the end of the year so it's going to be a very exciting time however a lot has happened in the last decade you know the rise of indie development uh is hugely pronounced where over 10 years ago, it used to be about like exclusive triple eight games. Um, it still is, but it's mostly first party now. Third party is pretty much non-existent. So uh, it's either Sony are buying these studios up or recent, most recently Microsoft buying a lot of studios up to have exclusive games on their platform or having third party games are, uh, that is available everywhere. Right. So what we see with that type of trend is that there's a huge decline of publishing power, right? Um, the indie games fundamentally changed everything. Um, where AAA developers or AAA branded games still remain uh, as one of the main part of the business. It's still a huge draw. A lot of streamers are using or at least playing big games versus smaller games. But there's a huge growth of online stores now, right? Pretty much PlayStation have their, has their own store. Nintendo has their own store. And Xbox has their own store. If you are buying physical copies, you're most likely buying it from Amazon, right? So uh, I'm still surprised to see GameStop's uh, around the nation. It's crazy. So the, there's... I guess their used game business, right? I mean, that's their main part of the business. Is doing enough that they're keeping their stores open. But there has really been no need for publishers to kind of help us sell games directly to gamers. And that has been like the biggest benefit to our industry, I believe, right? Taking out the middleman. Because of all these online platforms <clears throat> with Steam kind of leading the way at the beginning, game developers was uh, were able to kind of have an idea, make a game, and sell it directly to their customers and not having to go through this huge loop and cut into their dividends um, and... Uh, basically be at the will of a publisher. So that has been like one of the biggest things and uh, benefits that everyone have been thoroughly enjoy. I know I am, right? And it's something that I think uh, not, not enough of us appreciate. I think the people that have the biggest problem with that idea are probably triple a developers because we're so used to we're, i think triple a developers are very traditional uh they're changing now i think if you're at the high end of things you're you're kind of being swung with um with a new direction because you have to right there's an adaptation that the industry has to go with you i mean obviously if you're working on triple a games you're most likely a big publisher Right. But um, 
there is that allure, right? Uh, because the accessibility is so much better now, we're seeing a lot of ex AAA developers at least doing their time. <laughs> I say it like it's prison, but yeah, depending how you look at it, it is like a prison sentence. I think everybody's, uh, at least every game developer, eternally have that uh, passion to kind of publish their own game. I think that, at least to me, have felt to be the ultimate goal, right? Despite of all the success I've had in my career and, um, and everything else, I feel incomplete until I can say that I creatively directed a game or at least creatively had a huge impact to a game that wouldn't have existed without me. And I feel like uh, that can be only be achievable in a smaller team setting, right? And I think max um, max size of a smaller team setting is maybe 250, right? If you're really stretching it to 100, but that's that's starting to get too big, right? I think 50 is the, the biggest of the small pool of things where you can rightfully say that if you had a creative input into the game, it's pretty much, you know, you, you're a huge part of that pie or anything more than that. It gets to designed by committee. So I, I don't think that counts, but let me know in the comment section, hit me up on discord or Facebook or whatever, or Twitter. Twitter's probably actually the main uh, platform that you guys should hit me up with and let me know your thoughts. Um, because I feel like that, uh, to me, is pretty obvious. Now you got to be a smaller team to kind of have a huge impact. Uh, because even with the larger teams, you have these big names and only a few of them, these creative directors, can claim full ownership. Uh, it's usually because of the management and even the individual team members that contributed to that project that made that game worthwhile, right? It's... Uh, it's hard to kind of be a dictator on a game that has a hundred more people on it. Unless you're a genius. There's only a few of those. The next major thing that we saw in the last decade was Gamergate. Now, this is one of those topics that is, uh, ha- have always been prevalent in our game industry, online harassment. Um, in this case, a specific group, women. Uh, kind of spoke volumes in our silence. I feel like a lot of publishers and um, uh, notable developers kind of stayed silent on this. Not too much. Uh, I, of course, am a male. I don't have any authority to really talk about the impact because I, of course, didn't, wasn't directly tied to this as much. And at least the female workers that I worked with uh, maybe it's a California thing. Whenever I talked to them, it didn't feel like they, uh, it, at least they told me that it didn't really, uh, being a woman have ever affected them. I mean, there are subtleties, uh, of course. Maybe I'll, you know, I, I what comes to mind is an episode with Rosie Katz, uh, one of our early episodes, where one of the questions I asked was like, has it been difficult? Being a woman in the game industry, I mean, there are things where in meetings, she's a designer, too, which has a direct correlation with the game and how it's played. Right. Uh, Where her opinions, whenever she voiced them in a meeting, felt like it was not taking as seriously as to when a colleague suggests the same exact thing uh, later in the meeting. And that has happened uh, a few times. But uh, she has never felt disrespected directly, right? Um, But I think that is more, that has probably a combination of, and I I, I think this is something Larry have experienced too. And it's more with just the minority voice, right? More so than all the male in the room just didn't, uh, think a female's opinion is as important. So there's, uh, to me, it felt like there was a, a bunch of things mixed into that, which is all bad, of course, because the end result is a person with a valuable opinion is not being heard, right? Uh, 
But the last decade, we saw specific groups uh, being targeted and being harassed online. And uh, the more connected we've been with the Internet and everybody being more and more online, this is something I think have been kind of creeping up uh, in the recent years. So I feel like there's a lot of maturity within our industry with that. Um, but I think also as game developers, I really never see that too much at the workplace. It's again, I've only worked in California, so it may be different in other climates. But that's a fireable offense. <laughs> you can't be offending. Not just a specific group, but to anybody. If you're completely disrespectful, you're going to be called out on it. Um, so it gets trickier if you are in management and doing all these certain things. It kind of takes like several years to kind of get yourself removed. I mean, I just was talking or having lunch with a friend of a major studio. And one of the reasons why he left was because of this like... <laughs> asshole um at the management level and no matter how much they complained uh didn't matter and it took many uh turnovers many people to leave for them to finally after many years and many great talent leaving to remove that person and again it just depends on the bottom line it's only monetary where uh where the people running the company finally decided to take a look at why the project's failing and were finally listening or open to listening to all the complaints. And now that studio, that specific studio, I won't name it. Um, maybe I'll name it in Life Unchained. It's doing much better because of it, right? So I can see that. I do see like uh, not necessary harassment because it is a tricky subject. But uh, uh, exercising their authority or taking advantage of authority uh, to kind of push their opinions or downplay other people's opinions. Yeah, ego plays a dangerous part in any industry. So ours is no excuse. I think our industry is a lot more um, contagious with ego. I think we are, we are a geek industry. So for me, that we are, uh, we have a lot of people kind of, kind of insecure, uh, especially if they got to the management level, to kind of exercise their power. So in that regard, in the time back to GamerGate, um, yeah, I, I think that's gonna still happen. I feel like um, we're still battling with that uh, as we are recognizing. Different types of people um, working in the game industry. We have a hard time. You know, the, the big players in the field are, are still calling the shots a bit. All right. Uh, we've had uh, Game Workers Unite on the show many times. It's a movement that is progressing. Uh, I, I do feel that uh, uh, with journalism uh, being more responsible and uh, telling these stories that our Getting a lot of clicks, uh, essentially. Um, you know, journalism nowadays is a little different. Um, covering games isn't enough anymore. Streamers kind of have that on hold. Gamers who are looking to buy or purchase games are, are going straight to streamers, are going to YouTube to kind of watch uh, watch it for themselves and make their own decision, which is great. I think that that is awesome. Um and is necessary to kind of come up with your own idea. But however, the the downside to that is a lot of online journalist sites are depending on other ways to kind of get your attention, essentially. So, um, which just so happens to write exposés on, on game development, uh, which has been great. I think in the tail end of the last decade, we were seeing a lot of that those type of articles with talk uh, you talking about Riot or uh, Polygon, uh, what what the, what studio do they expose? But you know, anyways, Rockstar again came back in the news. Pretty much every studio with a major game release 
is usually marketed with all these they have a toxic workplace and they just crunch everything so and with the rise of game workers unite uh that's being echoed a lot and i feel gamers have a better understanding of how games are made which have been a huge huge plus for our industry uh, the last decade, we saw the, the technological advancements with virtual reality, augmented reality, um, starting with Oculus, a lot of bandwagoning with other uh, software. PlayStation just had their CES show announcing they sold 5 million VR units. I mean, uh, that that has to be one of the most if not the most VR units sold out there. So it is a growing market. I think um, Half-Life Alex was the first big, I feel, VR killer app um, that I think everybody have shown that they are willing to buy a system for a good game. Even Valve was unexpectedly selling out their Vive Index because of that announcement. They had to... They were instantly back ordered, so they weren't even making enough systems to anticipate the how the announcement would have sold or moved a lot of the systems. I think they figured that some will be sold, but they sold a lot more, and they are making a lot more now. And it was the first time that Valve ever really um, did any marketing for their games, to be honest. It was one of those things. I, I think I've read uh, how um, you know they were really pushed internally to kind of uh, do a trailer. Initially, they didn't really think of doing it, but uh, well, as you can see, it was like trending when it came out. So I, I anticipate the next two, three years, you know, because of Half Life Alex, um, whatever games that have been in development. There's going to be a lot new, uh, more people, a lot more people with systems now that are waiting to play something else after Half-Life Alex. So anybody, anyone that is, uh, any team that is releasing a VR game within Half-Life Alex is releasing in March that is releasing either in March or the two to three months after that or later that year is going to benefit a lot from Valve releasing that game. So uh, if there's a constant, steady increase of high-quality VR games put, being pushed out, I can really finally see VR taking off. Um, and I hope, I hope Oculus, pick on Oculus, because I, I do feel like, aside from PlayStation, uh, they are really making an effort in that field to, to everyone, not just PlayStation owners, right? that hopefully they saw that um, increase of interest from Valve as a motivator to kind of, you know, put some resources into some kick-ass games instead of all these other distractions. They're trying to cater to everybody, right? But I do feel like their mistake with that is that they're ignoring the, the, the earlier adopters and basically the geeks that are willing to buy these systems. So, I don't know. I, I, I criticize Valve for having their own VR set and putting that into the heap of VR sets that are already available. But maybe they just have this idea of like, we're going to sell these systems because we are the only ones making these games. And they're going to have the best experience, our own, our own system. While these other guys, like the Oculus team, are, are making social apps for Facebook where no one's using Facebook anymore, right? Maybe there's something there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next couple of years to kind of see how wrong I am with Valve coming out with their own system. Because at least they've shown us that killer apps will sell the systems, which is uh, something that I don't know why I ignored. Because that's how we sell consoles. So... That's awesome. Another thing in the decade that we saw with the eSport you know, explosion 
a lot of competitiveness, a lot of Blizzard, Riot Games, all these esports uh, grew to another level where I thought there was like, uh, well, at least I felt there was a decline at some point, right? Because it's expensive running those shows, a lot of investment. But because we're in a different generation now where people like watching games, I don't know. My, my thing is I feel like there's more people watching games than playing games nowadays. Maybe it's 50-50, but um, maybe that's the healthy way of doing things, just having people constantly engaged. You know, if they're not in front of their computer or the console playing games, it's nice to kind of have these people go off and still thinking about games because it makes it a lot easier for us as game developers to kind of appeal to them, right, 24-7. But esports, if anything, have grown and it's going to grow even crazier with a lot of these publishers, big publishers, seeing it as part of their marketing plan, especially if they're making a competitive game. It's um, impossible to do this without having some kind of esporting event or kind of streaming uh, streaming, um, strategy. So... However, it is a huge investment risk, something I've um, maybe I'll pull up real soon here. But an article that I read from Mark Cuban, you know, he's that billionaire on Shark Tank, right? Talking about his, you know, uh, his perspective on the esport and how it's a bad investment. And what he said was it really rings true because there's a lot of up and down in trends with gaming, right? You know, this month might be Fortnite. Fortnite actually has been doing well. So next month will be about Fortnite. But every three months or four months or five months, it's a new game, a new trend that's hot, right? And so as an investor and outside money trying to kind of uh, keep the eSport business going and alive, it's very hard for investors to kind of pump money into something that they have no guarantees, right? Or no learn-term uh, investment. Right. Aside from League of Legends and maybe some Blizzard games and very few Blizzard games, the esport phenomenon, like who who do you where do you put your money to um, to make sure that, you know, five, 10 years from now, you make X amount back. Right. So that is the one part that is holding back. I know you guys are not investors, but I'm just saying that that part of the business is still struggling to figure out the economics um, because of that reason. Right. You can't. You can't sponsor teams or you can't sponsor all these uh, game development, uh, game developers into putting money into the esport business. If I don't know a year from now, if your game is still hot or not. Right. So that, that's something that needs to be figured out. I'm sure they are figuring it out now. And uh, because there's no like clear winner in that category where aside from maybe League of Legends, you know, you, you can't put my money into that. Uh, into a game thinking that, like I said before, I'm going to see X amount of money back. So um, don't know where that's going to lead. Uh, I'm pretty sure people are very interested in esports, but it's kind of it's going to have to be like a company with several games in rotation uh, and guarantees for investors to take it seriously. Right. <clears throat> Last decade, we saw gaming taking front and center, where it used to be very niche and nerdy. Uh, games, again, um, is surpassing other entertainment business like movies and TV and all that stuff combined. We're making a lot of money, a lot of interest. Uh, Fortnite uh, ushered a new era where soccer players were doing Fortnite dances. Uh, everybody that wanted to be popular which is weird, uh, would mention Fortnite in their broadcasting. So so we see gaming finally taking seriously and not just as a waste of time. So that I feel in the last decade, in the tail end of the last decade, was a welcome change. Um, I mean, that's not just gamers' efforts at all. Uh, I mean, alone, right? I mean, Star Wars is cool now, where Star Wars was used to be nerdy, you know, popular culture is nerdy stuff now, right? With Marvel comics, Marvel movies and all this stuff. I think it had really helped pave the way for gaming to become such a phenomenon. Um, you know, I, I was watching The Witcher 
right? Which is uh, based on a book, but also, of course, we knew it from the games. And uh, the the main star, Henry Cavill, who did freaking kick-ass job, you know, was pretty much just going on these uh, shows when talking about the show, about his love for gaming and how he learned about the uh, the, sh- uh, the books through the games. So, I mean, things like that where celebrities are kind of reaching the, the hot celebrities, not in terms of luck, right? I'm just trending. I'm not saying he's hot. But um, the trending celebrities are our age now, right? Within the 25, 35 range or 40, the young actors now and they grew up with games so i think it was a natural progression just like anything that was uh, that is new that is rock and roll right it was just uh, waiting for the coming of age to kind of take over and become popular culture so gaming more than ever is huge bigger bigger than ever and uh which also means it's going to be ushering a lot of where there are a lot of gamers, there's a big, bigger pool of uh, game developers that comes from that. So people who are interested to looking at it as a career, either through streaming, which is another thing uh, that happened in the last decade. You can go to school now to become a streamer, a pro gamer, right? Learn this thing, actually get a degree out of it. Uh, so a lot of more, more, more talent. So a lot more new experiences I anticipate in this decade, um, which also means it's going to be very saturated, very competitive. Um, but I think competitiveness is necessary to kind of evolve the platform, the medium, and kind of keep us on our toes, us veterans out there, to look at it uh, at a different way. I mean, for the longest time, I feel our industry was kind of in this pigeonhole where we didn't know where to go. But I felt like a lot of a lot of the times I express on the podcast, companies like Apple, Facebook, Google have come in, kind of saved the industry, in my opinion, to kind of uh, create and forge different paths of where to grow uh, instead of the uh, all all in one basket AAA development that we were so used to. So having these new gamers or game developers come into the industry. Um, kind of growing around, growing up around uh, the new way to market, which is streaming, programming, esports, all this stuff, which also means they'll apply different design principles to ensure a game success with an audience. Uh, something that I feel like uh, veterans have a harder time to transition because we didn't grow up around streaming. We didn't grow around uh, Let's Play all the time, 24-7. <clears throat> Right, so it's, it takes it like a different mentality, a different approach, or at least a thorough thought process to kind of navigate that space and be successful nowadays. Uh, because you can't just hide in a cave for three years and come out with a masterpiece and expect that people will come. Right? <clears throat> um, I feel like game development have evolved uh, to kind of be more transparent during development, to build an audience while you're developing, <clears throat> to constantly engage. And uh, if anything, create that sense of community around your game, but not just have a product that people buy. Uh, people are buying into communities nowadays, uh, something that I saw in the last decades. With the rise of streaming, people can argue that uh, multiplayer gaming have taken the forefront. It is exciting. Having that replayability and um, longevity of a game is important. But what I also saw was the narrative storytelling. And this is kind of the ushering of independent development, right? A lot of smaller teams kind of focusing back to the uh, singer narrative and uh, something manageable for a small team to take on. Although we are seeing that kind of uh, dwindling a bit, uh, gamers, uh, me especially, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning episode, I spent the month of December playing mostly story-driven games, some uh, semi-open world like Metal Gear, and some very uh, platformy like Grizz and uh, Ori and the Blind Force. But I find myself at least... I like completing games, right? So I do appreciate games that are short, that have a complete, fulfilling experience. 
So I see a resurgence of that. It's just that we can't just have a gone home experience, which is just a straight two hour, do this, do this, do this. Um, and this is where I, I, I think, again, the game, the new game developers will have a very interesting way of storytelling and narration involving evolving that part of game design and uh, going back to being able to uh, have interactive movies, basically uh, the best, the best way I, I can describe it, you know, a step further from movies aside from just watching is actually being the character within the movie, but telling a singular story, right. With branching storylines, but having that focus is something that I, I did miss for a few years i felt like there was a lot of multiplayer games at least that i was playing uh last four three four years i felt like there was a uh focus back to a lot of platforming games i feel like a lot more platforming games came kind of came back but a single story was uh again um the best part of that resurgence Another thing, there was a huge lack of trust, I think, in the last decade, built through microtransactions, uh, freemium models, low effort, cash grabs, uh, excessive DLC drops. I felt like um, the way, in the wake of this transitional period of game development and how to make money, there were a lot of exploration and mistakes made to kind of create this distance between a game developer and gamer, sometimes by a middleman or a publisher. Uh, like I know with Activision and Bungie, the reason why they split was because they were really pushing excessive DLC and it was really infringing on game design principles that Bungie really uh, held themselves up to, right? So standards that they felt like was being violated and that created a lot of distress with uh, Destiny players uh, between Destiny 1 and 2. Uh, us, you know, so with that split, they were able to win developers back. I know as soon as the Activision thing got announced, um, they announced a bunch of game design changes and the way they would charge customers. And that won a lot of trust back. So that's something I feel like we're not completely out of the gates of yet, but um, big publishers are definitely struggling with this more so than independent developers. That is something I think in the last five years that we had a huge problems, a huge problem with, especially with EA doing all their microtransaction stuff. And so, you know, that makes gamers a lot more cautious to what they buy that's how it affects us, which means they are more dependent on uh, streaming or Let's Play or or any other ways to review a game before actually buying it. So doing their due, due diligence, but also, you know, being, being more held back. So, uh, you know, if you're an independent developer, you can't write... Uh, you can't rely on day one buys anymore. You got to rely on that wish list stuff and just have that money to not just finish the game, but having that buffer uh, six months to a year after the game shifts to find success. I think overall it's all good. Um, everyone's to blame, but it's an evolving medium, the game development business. So to me, it's good to kind of see the data. I mean, I'm always interested in seeing how things are uh, unfoiling. But it's more for me to kind of try to predict what's going to go and happen next. If you're not into that, that's fine. But at least be open to change and don't complain about why it's so different and why it's so hard, right? You got to pay attention to what's going on, especially if you're trying to sell a game. So that's my cautionary advice from what I've gathered. It's just like, uh, it's good. It's good that game mers are hesitant, more hesitant to buy something. And uh, you got to do your job, man. Convince them. Be a good salesman. Tell them why. Give them all 
the materials that they may need to buy a game. And a lot of that is just putting yourself in their position. You're a gamer yourself, right? Well, I mean, what's what's keeping you from buying that game on your wish list right now, right? And a lot of reasons, right, it's a super saturated market right now. There's a lot, more than ever, I feel like there's a lot of good games happening at the same time now, more so than ever before. It used to be like once every six months, you're looking forward to a big game, which you still are looking forward to a big game. But there's a lot of small games that are comparatively very good uh, that are constantly either on sale or they're constantly available somewhere else on a streaming platform like uh, Game Pass or PS, uh, PS Now or something. So it makes it harder and harder for you to kind of plop down for an exclusive game, right? So I feel a lot of that is, again, going back to building that community. It's all about that personality. Aside from the product that you're selling, you know, Sell yourself. Why are you interesting? Why should I follow you, watch your videos, and hear what you got to say? Ultimately, you're your own salesman. And uh, although indie publishing or publishers have become another big thing in the last decade, and they are very helpful. We have had many guests that had many successes with them. Uh, where they, you know, you know, it's like focusing on game development and the marketing side uh, are, you know, they're trained in that. I say, at least for your first game, instead of trying to do everything yourself, because you're already handling a lot, it's a huge learning curve. Uh, looking into indie publishing and being able to uh, be walked through that process and learn from experts uh, would be very helpful. And it's something that I'm keeping note to myself. It's like, maybe you should go on the first journey with someone and, and actually budget money aside. Uh, the last episode, 210, I definitely recommend you guys re-watching that or listening to that. Uh, where there was a part of that uh, where he noted, Michael, noted um, that you should save about 50% of your budget for marketing, which sounded reasonable when he said it, but it's something I never, myself being guilty of this, never thought of doing. (laughs) If I were, uh, you know, I was making my own game, Right. And if I was asking for money from an investor or or publisher or whatever, I was asking about development money, was not thinking of taking half of that just for marketing. Right. Which is insane Um, because that means you're doubling your your ass right there, which is a tougher sale. But that is very necessary and is very much being responsible. Right. The whole point of taking someone's money is paying them back. And if you, you know, ideally with profit, right? So if you're just asking for development time and have no plan for marketing, you guys are not doing yourselves any favor. So um, that was something very educational. And even if you have that 50% of money saved off, do you even know what to do with it? Of the resources? Of the best places to kind of place your bet to tell people about your game? No. So um, what I've learned, especially if you're making your own game right now, do all the community stuff that you think that you will try. I think it is valuable information to kind of test the field yourself and gather your own data. But for your first project and maybe even your second project, having a PR form kind of walk you through the process and you learning that and being able to take that and maybe uh, adapt it to your own style um, is a very necessary step for first time independent developers. Right. It's a very saturated field right now. There's no room for errors. And um, yeah, I wish you guys the best. So that concludes this week's podcast. First time I did an hour straight by myself. Hopefully you found it very educational, kind of voicing my thoughts about the biggest things about the last decade that I felt game developers have benefit and made mistakes of. 
Uh, as always, love to hear your opinions. Join our Discord channel, available on our GameDevUnchained.com website. Uh, click on that. I want to talk to you guys. If you don't like talking in real time, hit me up on Twitter, man. So it's going to be at BlueChamps, right? Uh, tell me what you think about this episode. Let me know your thoughts. If there's any point uh, or opinions that I said that you don't agree on, let me know. I want to talk to you. Let's keep the discussion going. This year is going to be a lot more fun. It is a lot more lonely with just me. So if you guys can accompany me with commentary discussions within these community outlets, I really appreciate it. And we're going to have Ray back with a panel of game developers. So it's not just me with a stranger every time. I know you guys kind of miss my camaraderie with how I talk to colleagues. I do get pretty serious when I'm interviewing because I'm trying to learn. I'll try to lighten up the mood too because I know you guys enjoy me having fun while I'm doing it. I am having fun, but there is a serious side of interviews that uh, I do recognize. <laughs> All right. So again, thank you guys so much. Uh, tune in every Tuesday for uh, a week early preview uh, live on twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. If you become a Patreon subscriber, thank you so much. If you already are, uh, you get the exclusive life on chain, which is the behind the scenes stuff, you know, where I talk more about what happened with between me and Larry, what's going on with all my businesses, how am I sustaining myself um, being six months in full time at home and how am I taking the lessons from this podcast, from my guests, and also from gdex.me and um, finding my own way, right? This is the way. Go watch Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. We're not sponsored by them, but what a kick-ass show. Did not like this last Star Wars. Oh, my God. Well, forget that, right? At some point, talk to me about it. <laughs> so, as always, tweet at me first um, at Blue Champs or go to Discord. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the new year. Have a good one.